0: Welcome to this week's Dewsbury Gospel Church Podcast with Pastor Wad. In these important days in which we live, as we see Jonah placed in Israel and as God's man, his prophet, and God places us in certain places at certain times for certain seasons, that God wants to do certain things. And yet when God said, right now, what I want you to do is go into Assyria, and I want you to go to the biggest and the wickedest city uh, in the known world at that time, uh, Jonah said, not me. And, um, and he really thought God had got it wrong, because he's, he was kind of saying, uh, I know you're a God of grace and mercy, and, uh, but you, know, you can go too far with that. And yet, you know, God really gives people the opportunity as much as he can and uh, because he's not willing that any should perish. So we, uh, we come to uh, Jonah. We're still in chapter 1, really. We, we talked about some of the things uh, uh, concerning the whale or the big fish. Uh, some people say that the, the throat of a whale is not big enough to actually take... Uh, a full man so um, we don't know that it was a whale uh, certainly sharks are are known to um, they certainly can take a a whole man at one go Um, but the fact is that God it says he literally spoke to this fish this great fish that he had prepared and uh, and to my mind I, I don't see any problem whatsoever because God who created everything he could create a type of fish that could swallow a man anyway. And we know that even uh, historically that, um, that this has happened in real life and that people have been swallowed and uh, even survived in the way that uh, Jonah was, uh, was in there for three days and three nights. And um, uh, But there's a real great message here, I believe, and a great message for the church and a message that really is for us personally Because I believe that we all uh, are encountered by God at some time during uh, our life. Uh, He speaks to us very clearly, very directly, um, but we don't always respond in the right way, just as Jonah didn't. I'm not sure that it was that Jonah was afraid of going to Nineveh because they were a wicked people. I think he just was so feeling strongly. That that God couldn't be for these people at all. Um, Because we know that even when the sailors on the ship, who didn't want to throw him overboard, um, but eventually he said, you've got to do that. That he he could have actually just said, you know, uh, given them a different story so that he could have been saved. But he, he, he just had got to a place where he really was prepared to be thrown overboard. And as we, we go back uh, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, now the word of the Lord came. And and that's important. I, I believe that God is always speaking. People are often saying, well, I never hear God. I never hear God speaking to me. Well, maybe you don't hear God speaking in an audible voice. Not many do. I certainly uh, haven't heard God speaking audibly. And yet, you speak in He's spoken uh, to me in a way that it, it couldn't have been any louder had it been audible, because he, he speaks within your spirit, and that's how God communicates with us through the spirit realm, and, and so we, we know that God's voice is that which is coming to us from time to time, uh, maybe more often than what we, we think, so often we, we're not really listening as we should. And why the Word says, at times we need to be still and, uh, and let God be God to us. He's always ready to communicate. He's, he's not holding back on us. But um, we realize that this place, Nineveh, it, it actually is dated back in, in the Bible, back to Genesis chapter 10, and uh, where it talks of a man called Nimrod. We don't hear an awful lot about Nimrod, but it does say that he was a mighty hunter. And he was uh, really quite a personality in his time. And uh, his city was Babel, and um, you know what happened there. But that is the place that Nineveh, he actually built initially this city of Nineveh. And years on, in the time of Jonah, of course, we realized that it had grown into a powerful city. It was, uh, they say it was like three miles long and probably a mile in width as a city and um, was was one of the biggest cities, if not the biggest city around at the time. And so uh, this was the place that, that God was calling Jonah to and why he was kicking against it. Uh, he just didn't. Uh, feel that this could be what God really, really wanted. Maybe God was making a m- big mistake here as if we could ever question God. It's just that we know that the Word says that God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. But it says, now the Word of the Lord. And you know that God wants to always give us a now Word. Uh, sometimes we're just living in the past. What God said to us years ago, but every every day god can give us an our word and uh, and so and that's what we, we need in the church we we need to know not what god was particularly doing you know 10 years ago or whatever but what is god doing now what is god doing in this town right now and uh, i was reading in the uh, the free press paper uh, and he was saying you know that uh, that the the best place to buy a house basically in Dewsbury, is in Town. You know, the value of, of the, uh, the houses. Now, it went exactly the opposite way. Our next-door neighbor, they used to live in Town, and they had to sell their house, which is a beautiful house, um, but they lost so much money on it because um, the only people that were going to buy uh, their house were Muslims. Nobody was wanting to move into Town. And therefore there was a move out. But now um, that it's been established as a place where people are wanting to be near the mosque and therefore the prices are now shooting up. And it's quite amazing how things change and circumstances change to bring those things about. But uh, we need the now word because God is going to do something dramatic if the church will believe for it. And, you know, we know that Dewsbury is a town. It doesn't have a university. And, uh, you know, churches uh, grow very quickly around universities um, because a lot of young people are, are there. The, many of them are obviously from different parts of the, the country. But uh, um, we know of churches that have planted near universities, and uh, like in York, in uh, Woodhouse, and Leeds. These are places that people purposely um, plant churches because they know there's a, a big attraction. Same down in London. <coughs> we saw that in the Ilsongs Church. And um, uh, same in, in these big university towns. They, they can attract a lot of people that way. Therefore, for a, a, a town like Jewsbury, it's a little bit different because we don't have university. There's no big churches in this town. Um... You know, when we talk of uh, you know thousands being in churches, the one that Robert and Kay were in in Peterborough, that was heading for 2,000. Uh, Hillsong's, I think, was about 4,000. The fastest-growing church in, in the nation was Hillsong's at that time. Of course, Matthew Eshimolo's uh, church is over 10,000. Uh, Roger Forster, though, they met in lots of different places, but collectively they had quite a few thousand in their movement. Um, and so, uh, but this is so often not so much actual, what you would say, born-again growth. It's transfer growth. In other words, people are attracted to numbers. And therefore, um, and we see this all the time, that the churches in the nation are often uh, where there are believers who are just going and gathering where there's a young, good number of young people there. And, um, but the new birth rate is very very small in actual fact what God wants to do of course is bring um, something like we see in this time of Jonah and we say well can God do it even in a town like this if he could do it in Nineveh a wicked, a wicked wicked city and, um, and yet God is showing his grace and mercy to a people like that and you know that, that part of the calling for Jonah was to walk around the streets of Nineveh and to declare that unless you repent, that in 40 days God will bring judgment against you and wipe you out. And that was quite a message to, to take as a, as a prophet of God. But this was their last chance, basically. Uh, God was going to deal with them. And God will ultimately judge the whole world. You know, because of sin, it has to be judged. The wages of sin is death. And, uh, but it's not that God wants people to perish, and therefore He is always showing forth his, his mercy for a time. But there comes a judgment time, and the Word of God tells clearly there is a judgment day when every person will be judged. And so, <clears throat> again, we uh, we look at this very fact of... It's now the word of the Lord. Now, if now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, we want to say, Lord, give us the now word for Jewsbury. Give us the word that you want for us to hear. And uh, as I say, sometimes God can't use big churches because they're into programs and into certain things. And is uh, looking just for a people who will say, but we'll believe and we'll do what you tell us to do. And that's the basis, availability, dependability. Those two abilities is all that God needs. He doesn't need degrees. He doesn't need uh, even three years in Bible college, carries Bible college to do it. It's useful and it's helpful. And we need those things because the only thing about revival is that so often every revival that's ever been has disappeared after so many years. I don't believe that God wants the, the final revival. I think the final revival will usher in the return of the Lord. It's what will bring him back, and when he comes he um, he's coming for a church that is spotless, blameless and and therefore he's not coming back for a sick church he's coming back for a church that has begun to move in the power of the spirit and uh, and just to see people being born again all the time every day it says from the day of Pentecost, such were being added to the church, those who were being saved. Every day, there were literally people getting born again. It doesn't take long, does it? You know, even if, uh, um, I know Andrew's used this statistically, I've read it before, uh, about the fact that if you if you get into true discipleship, you make disciples, and one disciple makes another disciple, even if you only make one disciple after, in, in six months. But then, that disciple is disciple to disciple someone else. It's the quickest way, literally within just a short space of time, you could have seen the whole of the United Kingdom come to the Lord. Um, because you're just doubling up all the time, you see. And everybody's, it's, it's kind of the, the way that they brought this pyramid selling in. And, um, and therefore, you know, you, you, you kind of, are at the top of the tree and everybody's under you and and you're getting all the benefit of everybody's percentage coming back to you. They've done this in some churches called, you know, they used to call them the the pyramid movement, which is a heavy discipleship movement. Um, heavy shepherding kind of thing. But it was on the same basis that everybody is covered by somebody else. And therefore, you have to respond to someone. But you have somebody who must respond to you. And they have somebody. And so, suddenly you become over you know, quite a lot of people. Um, but all you've done is kind of build a papacy kind of church. And uh, again, it's not the scriptural principle. That isn't what God was looking for. But he was looking for discipleship. And he was looking for people that would uh, really be so enabled to to draw someone into discipleship for them to be born again and so on. And so it just spreads and spreads. That's God's way of actually bringing revival in, that uh, it's just one telling another. It's a a little bit like Andrew went and found Peter. and said, I found him. And uh, so he brought Peter, and then they uh, started bringing others. And you see, if we don't ever bring anybody, then... Course, it stops if we stop talking to people. Now, we know there's a, there's a time and a climate when God just sovereignly moves and he, he brings a conviction of sin on people. And the revivals that we've had in the past in this nation, the last one probably that's the Hebrides one uh, in the 50s, where, where people just being so convicted of sin. And these were unbelievers that they just had to get to where the meeting was. Same in Evan Roberts' days in Wales, where people just, particularly the it was mainly minors who were coming to the Lord, um, but they, they just had to get to the meetings. There was this conviction that came upon them. And, uh, and in some way, and, and that's, that's God's sovereign grace, you know, just working by His Spirit. But it's always in answer to prayer as well. And so there's, there's a sense in which uh, when you trace every revival back, it seems to always develop from, even though it's a small group of people praying. Certainly it was in the case of the, the one in Wales and uh, in the Hebrides where it was two old ladies. And, um, you know, they, uh, they, they just believed God. And they told uh, Duncan Campbell that he just had to come and preach. He was in Ireland at the time, and he says, I can't, I'm running you know, meetings here. And, and they said, uh, we don't care, you must come. And then he got so convicted that God was really speaking through these women that he went, and of course, the rest is history. Evan Roberts was uh, a man who just, a young man, a very young man, he was only in his early 20s, uh, went about with uh, some girls who were in a singing group, and they used to just go around, eat, preach, and they'd sing. And then suddenly God began to bring conviction. He went to his pastor and he said, I think God wants me to preach today. And so I'm waiting for that person to come forward. And, uh, and when, uh, when Evan Roberts got up and preached, that was it. That was the beginning. And, uh, and the, the amazing thing was that uh, often he, was, he, he never told anybody where he was going to preach the next Sunday because... Uh, he didn't want people to come just to hear Evan Roberts. He realized there was something bigger than he was. And he even went to chapels, you know, where he was supposed to preach and couldn't get in. They didn't know he was coming to preach at that church. On one occasion, they literally had to pass him over the, the heads of the people to get him down to where the pulpit was. And But that was God sovereignly doing a marvelous thing. Um, But it was always in response to obedience of someone. And that's why God was trying to get this message through to Jonah. Jonah was the chosen vessel. He didn't want it. He was running away from it. He didn't want that responsibility. And uh, maybe even part of his thinking was, if I run away to Tarshish, then then maybe God will Pick up another prophet and use him instead of me. I don't want to be the man that God is going to use, but God chooses the foolish things. Amen. And, uh, and that's why when we look at situations, we think back, and usually when you think back, you think, oh, why did God do that? And why did he do it that way? But then you realize that this is what happened as a result. Why did he choose us? Why did he ask us to, to run a school? You know, 19 years ago. Why doesn't he use uh, bigger churches who've got lots of people in it to do these things? And I don't know. To me, uh, I've, I've never got out in that way. Why, why does he come and tell us to uh, run a radio station with the numbers that we've got? Wouldn't it be so easy? I, I was thinking when this uh, this family came to see me and they were telling me about this big church, I was thinking, they're coming to us because we're running a school to put their children in and, and yet they belong to such a big church and to me you think why didn't God use that church to do that but that's God it's God's choice isn't it and, and yet we still have to be you know available to God to do it it was like when Rainer Bonnke uh, was so pleased that God called him to, to literally put a, a, a booklet a gospel booklet in every home in the United Kingdom. This is a German preacher, evangelist. And God comes and speaks to him and says, uh, Reinhard, I want you to to do this for me. And it was going to cost millions of pounds to do it. And he realized that. And uh, Reinhard Bonke says, says, I said to God, thank you so much that you've chosen me to do this. And then he said, God said, You were third choice; the other two refused. So he actually asked two other big names. He never said who who they were, but uh, basically, so Ran says, "Well, I was thinking maybe it's because I'm special." And God said, "No, you, you were third choice. It's not down to that." But he was available and he was willing to do it, and that's what God blesses. It's our availability. So we, we should never shy away from hearing the now word. And if you've got a now word in you, then, uh, then proceed with it. Stand on it. It doesn't always mean that it's going to be immediate that it comes about. Someone prophesied 20 years over us in Cornwall about working with children. It didn't happen for 20 years. But when it did happen, we could think back, that brother... It was a Pentecostal minister picked us out of a meeting and we didn't know him he didn't know us but he, he pointed to us in the meeting and he said you're going to work with children you know and we kept that in our heart and I think that sometimes you've got to do like Mary did when the angel came to Mary and Gabriel spoke to her it says that she, she heard what he was saying and pondered those things in her heart and so she kept thinking it through and, and so what, what you do by doing that is saying, okay, if that is the word from the Lord, then I'm, I'm available. But God's timing is the thing. Then we, we can't go ahead of him and uh, we shouldn't lag behind. So when the challenge comes, and I can remember the very moment that God told us about the school, we were in the bookshop behind the, the counter and the lady had come up and told us about these awful things that were happening in a children's school, and, uh, and I was sympathizing. And I said, yeah, it really is bad, isn't it? And then the voice of God just simply says, well, why don't you do something about it? That was the now word of the Lord. And, uh, you know, that was kind of in the January 1994, I guess it was. Um, by November, the school was up and running. You can't do it that quick these days because things have changed. We literally just started a school um, because we knew God had called us to start a school. These days, you've got to have everything in place. In new schools, we've got a few new schools starting in ACE, but they have to have everything now in place before they're even allowed to open the doors. They've got to have all the policies, everything in place, and they've got to prove that everything is there before they're allowed to even start a school. Thank God that we, didn't have to, we, have to, we still have to do that now. Um, but not to start the school. But it's a different kind of way that things are going, and we realize it's getting more difficult for Christian education in this nation. And uh, we thank God that we've got to keep on pressing and working against the enemy because he is pressing in on all sides to try and stop these things happening. But the now word of the Lord, that's verse 1. and uh, But then the second word that comes um, here it says, go to Nineveh. So you get the now word, and then you get the go to, or the doing of the word. So God speaks the word, but there comes a time when you've got to do what he tells you to do and at this point you can you can have the word of God come to you you know it's the word of the Lord you know I, no doubts that Jonah knew exactly this was God speaking to him he was a prophet of God he knew what the voice of God was it wasn't a question that this wasn't the voice of God um, but the next thing of course that, that uh, God says to Jonah is go to and, uh, and so this is the orders this is now the direction and uh, when again, with the scope I'm using, this just as an illustration, really. But when God told us about um, the very fact that we needed to do something about Christian education, we had no, never heard of AC, didn't know it existed, didn't know anything. The only people that we knew were over in Liverpool, friends who we'd worked with in evangelism over in Liverpool, and they had started a Christian Fellowship um, School. They were called. Uh, Liverpool Christian Fellowship, I guess, in those days. And uh, they called their school um, uh, Christian Fellowship School. Still goes today. It's still a good school. Um, but that was a long way from us. And therefore, um, you know, uh, but they weren't using ACE. They were, they were school teachers that would come together and who um, were doing a good job over there. Uh, and that was all we knew. But literally within two weeks, of, uh, of God speaking that we became aware that there's an A.C.E. school in Leeds and uh, I went over to visit them and, and that, so again you know, you could say oh well, you know, maybe it was just uh, not really God's voice but we knew it was and, uh, and from that God then begins to progress things for you and you, you just keep responding and when he says do this, do that the next thing was um, ring up Headquarters in Swindon about ACE and then Arthur Roderick says best thing for you to do is to come down and uh, do the training and so again it's, it's still not formulating in the sense of uh, knowing fully but by the time that week was over I knew that this is what God had called us to do this was what God wanted he wanted this kind of system of education uh, for us to pursue and uh, and we did that training, I think it was August time, November, we had opened with eight students. And so it's the same kind of thing in a way. In every situation, the things that maybe God speaks to you about, you, you will have a now word and then you will have a go-to. Uh, in other words, you've got to do it. Um, I'm sure you know there are people here that can uh, respond in many ways, um, whether it's the radio, when... We realised that we were paying out thousands, thousands of pounds to run a radio station just for a month. I think it was costing us something in the region of five thousand pounds. And uh, and then suddenly the government says we're going to put a hundred uh, radio stations in in the United Kingdom. This this is unheard of, really. There was UCB who'd been broadcasting from Ireland and, uh, and they'd managed to uh, get kind of a, a license, but they they were the uh, only ones, and then Premier, of course, came along. But um, they made this now available. But this wasn't for Christian uh, radio stations. This was just for secular, really. Um, but everybody was invited, and so there were four four radio stations in uh, in Yorkshire that uh, applied for this. Two of them were Muslims ourselves, and then a secular radio station. And um, but praise God, God was in it, and. We had the now word, but we had the go-to. And uh, I remember when, uh, when Steve got the kind of document that he had to fill in, it was that thick, you know. And we, we kind of looked at this and thought, what do we do with this? And, uh, of course, then our friends across Rhythms were very helpful, and uh, they'd been that route and uh, uh, enabled us to, to put in the right things that were necessary to appease or to... Um, you know, make sure things were right as far as the agency, uh, the government agency of broadcasting was concerned, and, you, and you've got rules and regulations that you have to abide by, obviously, in broadcasting. But again, um, we could have just looked at that duck and thought, let's forget the idea. But God was in it. And you see, and God doesn't let you off the hook. The point is, God wasn't going to let Jonah off the hook. And uh, even though he was running. But I, when I've really looked at Jonah, and he does get a bad press from a lot of people, a lot of commentaries. They say he was, you know, but I really believe he, he, he loved God with all his heart. Uh, he really wanted the best for Israel. And uh, he got his thinking uh, mixed up, as people do. And, uh, and he was going to make a big mistake um, by going in the wrong direction. Uh, but God... Fortunately, brought him back and he, he did complete the task eventually but what it tells us is that it's so easy for you to go off board you can go in the wrong direction and still not get it right that's the danger you know and, uh, and what we see in this is a very good understanding of how God operates and uh, but how we need to respond as well you know that um, I, I'd call this up on, on my computer. It's amazing what you can do these days. There are 101 fleas in the King James Bible. I don't mean the things that get on you. 101 cases of people fleeing. And, um, what, uh, you know, it, we'll be here till Christmas going through all those. But, but two that, that's, well, there's three that stand out. Um, uh, remember... Uh, Hagar, who uh, Abraham had taken, um, and Sarah, of course, she was bondmaid to Sarah. Um, but of course, Hagar became pregnant, and uh, uh, Sarah was really upset about the situation. Um, and therefore, she was, she was pretty strong against Hagar. And in, in the end, uh, Hagar literally says she uh, I'm going to say flew but uh, um, she, she, she took off uh, she just couldn't put up with Sarah and how strong she was against her and so she, she fled into the wilderness and um, you know the thing was uh, she, she would have literally just died There was no way that she was going to survive, but she just couldn't stay in the household. Um, She had been nasty with Sarah, and she'd been boasting about her relationship with Abraham. And and so you can imagine why Sarah was upset, but she she came against her. But while uh, Hagar had fled into the wilderness, it says, and it's in Genesis 16, verse 6, it says, "...the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness." Literally, an angel came looking for Hagar, and um, and then the angel speaks to her, and it says that uh, said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? Again, she's fleeing away from a, a bad situation, and the angel comes, and uh, it says, and she said back to the angel I flee from the face of my mistress Sarah and the angel of the Lord said to her return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands and it's so significant is that you see because um, what she was doing she was running away from a bad situation just like Jonah was running away from that situation. She couldn't face up. She was supposed to be submissive to Sarah. And even though Sarah was being maybe unkind in some of the things that now she was putting upon her, um, but the angel says, no, you must go back. The fact is, the angel saved her life because she would have literally died in the wilderness. Uh, She wouldn't have been able to. And, you know, in those days, there were wild animals roaming about and... uh, uh, so, but she uh, she went back. But again, it shows that so often the reason that people run from one situation um, is simply because they're not willing to to face the truth of this is where I really should be. Uh, she actually uh, got a great promise from God as well, and that she was going to have uh, Ishmael and uh, and there would be blessings even. Uh, that would come upon her children. That uh, we, we know, in, in a way, that it's been a thorn in the side of Israel ever since. But uh, um, that again goes back to Abraham's disobedience uh, and uh, unbelief at a time. Uh, Fortunately, he came round, and it uh, was accepted by God, and has blessed nations upon nations as a result. The other situation we read about in the Book of Genesis, of course, is is the um, the very obvious one of Jacob and Esau, and uh, Jacob fled from his brother Esau. You probably remember the, the story, and um, it talks about jacob 's uh, mum, Rebecca, um, that basically she, she was going to get the blessing for her son. Um, Esau should have had the blessing, really. Um, and uh, of Isaac but uh, she, uh, she persuaded him to kind of deceive uh, his dad and, uh, and so the blessing would fall on, on Jacob and Esau sold out his birthright and um, you know and so the story goes on but then of course Esau once he realized what had happened he got raging mad and he said I'm going to kill him uh, kill my brother You know, he's uh, he's brought this uh, against me. And uh, Genesis uh, 27, Uh, this is Rebecca. It says, uh, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. So, Rebecca, who in fact was in a bad state herself. It says just beyond that verse that in fact that it says that she was weary of her life. She had brought deception because it was her who had instigated this thing anyway. And now she says, it's okay, Jacob, but you must get away because your brother's out to kill you. And therefore she says, just go for a few days, stay with my brother Laban and uh, uh, Uncle Laban will look after you. Well, 20 years later, we still find that Jacob is with, with Laban. He's gone through all kinds of traumas um, because he wanted Rachel for his wife and he finished up with Leah and he'd worked seven years for Laban. And then Laban, who was a, a twister like Jacob was, they were both similar in that way. Uh, he said, no, he says, you've got to work uh, uh, another seven years for Rachel. And so, uh, eventually, uh, he does another seven years, and then he does another six years on top of that, looking after the flocks, and of course, we know that uh, that Laban prospered greatly because of, of the blessing that was on Jacob, because the blessing had come upon him, and, and whatever uh, Jacob was doing was being blessed by God, and the, the crops, and the... Uh, flocks increased and, and so Laban knew that I need this man I need to keep him because uh, he, he had struggled himself uh, in, in developing things but, but now Jacob was in charge things were going well and so there they go and uh, uh, and then eventually Jacob's had enough and he says Rachel pack up your things we're, we're, we're going back and uh, as they're making the way back, he gets a message that Esau is on the same path, coming towards him with 400 soldiers. And uh, so again, so for 20 years, he's been in fear, he's run away from his brother, and and nothing in a sense has changed because here he is in the same position, and he he tells Rachel and Oliver kind of uh, children to be at the back so they're not going to be attacked first and he's trying to protect her and um, and, you know it's the same kind of thing you think well if only it has stayed God would have worked it out you know and so often we find that with people they they move at the wrong time because they just can't face the situation something's gone wrong and they think they've got to get out as a result of that that's not God's way. He never wants you ever to run away from a bad situation because you're always going to be in a, a state of defeat. And as successful as Jacob was uh, working for Laban, there's still this problem. You know, God had, had ordained that Jacob was going to be Israel, his name was going to be changed, he's going to be, you know, the father of uh, a great nation. Um, and so. So God's plan is always in place and yet sometimes we run away from the plan that he's got for us. I suppose if I was to ask uh, uh, many of the Bible college students, you know, when did you hear the call to go to Bible college? And sometimes we hear the call and we think, no, I I don't know how I can manage that and yet we know it's the right thing to do and it burns in us and, and God's voice is still speaking to us. You know, he is patient, thank God. You know, if he, uh, if he just gave up on us like that. But he, he works things out. That we look back and we think, I could have done that much sooner. You know, there was a time when God called me. But nevertheless, it's better late than never. But the sense in which, when we read these accounts, we really should be responding to God when he calls us because we can be holding something so powerful back that God wants to do. He wants to bring a revival. He wants to bring a move that we've never seen uh, before. You know, many have prophesied the next revival that it's the UK will be greater than anything that's ever been before. And a lot of great men of God have prophesied those things. Um, how long that will be, I don't know. But one day we will, we'll be able to see these things, for what they are, whether we're in heaven at the time or what. But, um, but it will happen because it's God's ordained thing that as the waters cover the sea, so is the glory of God going to come upon this earth. And it will happen. So, 20 years later, Jacob is still in the same position in fear of his brother that is out to kill him. The good news is, of course, is that Esau runs to him, puts his arms around him. And Jacob is kind of on his knees saying, you can have anything you want, Esau. He said, I don't want anything. I've got plenty myself. God has blessed me. And so there's that great reunion, you know, God's grace but but you know what it is when you think about it it's the things that gets into your mind I'm sure that that is what it was with Jonah God said but he's thinking his thoughts he's thinking mm, what will happen to me? why should it be me that goes to these people that I hate? these are our enemies and so the thoughts are going around and again it's the same thing God's thoughts are not our thoughts God's thoughts are I'm going to give these people a chance to hear, you know, the way of repentance and salvation for them. And so, we we were thinking about this, you know, that the first thing that happens is that you get a thought in your mind, and from your thoughts come your words. So then we speak out. So you have to be careful what you speak out. You get things even attacking your body, and the first thing you want to do is is speak out the pain and why me and why this and suddenly we got a pity party running for ourselves and, and then you know the, the obvious thing because from your words come your actions Then we say from your actions then you're actually uh, starting up uh, something that is going to develop in your way of thinking and your way of living the way that you do things and so you, you're actually building up uh, habits and so that, that's the way that you are You come across people who are so miserable and so complaining all the time. But they have developed that over years of letting their thoughts turn into words that have come out of their mouth, come into their actions, the way that they do things. And then suddenly you form the habit and from habits we saw that that develops into character. That's the way that you are now. And so, exactly with Jonah, same with Hagar, same with Jacob. His thinking was, my brother's out to kill me. I've got to do something. So he takes, you know, he speaks this out. I've got to get away from my brother. And Re- Rebecca had been speaking it over him as well. You, you better go, son. You. And then even uh, Isaac says, yes, you, you need to go to Laban. And so all of these things become words. They turned into actions. He took off. And, uh, and then over those 20 years, he was always fighting Laban, you know, and it just become a habit, the way that things were. He's, he's being unfair to me, and he was complaining and grumbling all the time, and, uh, and so he was still fast bound. He didn't get the woman that he should have had uh, first off, and, and then it goes on. And his character had developed into such a way that he really then became a conniver against Laban and, uh, and his flocks and then God had to bring him to that point where he wrestled with, with an angel maybe uh, some believe it was Jesus and um, he had that vision of uh, angels and coming up going up Jacob's ladder and all of this and, and God by his grace so uh, the end result was pretty good in, in a sense for Jacob um, but then, look at the trouble that he had with his sons. That's the whole story of Joseph, isn't it? Jacob and sons. And they struggled uh, with those, those brothers. They even tried to kill Joseph, the favored one. And, and so it was, it, was, it was then into the character of even of those people. Thank God for, for Joseph. Because he worked exactly opposite to that. And even when he was confronted with Potiphar's wife, that's another flea, by the way. But this is a good flea. There's good fleas in the Bible. And uh, it says that when Potiphar's wife came on to him, uh, that he fled, he got out. And that is the right way to deal with those kind of situations. When we are confronted with that, which, which we know is contrary to the word of God, you've got to flee from it. You know, people get stuck with all kinds of material these days that we shouldn't be seeing, we shouldn't be looking at. And, uh, you know, what Joseph did. And, of course, he's the type of Jesus. You look at the character of Joseph, you don't see any moaning, you don't see any groaning, any complaining against God. And if anybody could have complained, you know, put in prison and uh, wrongly accused. And even when he, you know told the, the baker and the, uh, the other guy, the butler, um, about their dreams. And he, he said to them, don't forget me when, when you're released. Tell them about me. And of course they didn't. They forgot about him until a little bit later when Pharaoh had had his dream. And then the butler said, "Oh, said, I said I was in prison with someone who, who could interpret dreams. and But again, he could have thought, hmm, those guys, I did that for them. And... Uh, they forgot all about me. And this whole essence of um, fleeing um, uh, takes on a different kind of thing with Joseph because he, he sees it through. And then um, Jesus speaking about these things because he, he was leading his disciples in, in a way of commitment uh, so that they would see revival. He could have given up on those guys very early, but I believe that in Jesus' mind, he could see Pentecost. He could even see beyond the cross. He could see what these guys could achieve. And when he left them, in Acts 1.8, it says that he was ascending into heaven and they were looking upon him. The last thing he said is to go into all the world and preach the gospel starting in Jerusalem in Judea Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth and uh, but this is what Jesus said on one occasion he said I have not spoken on my own authority but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment notice that that Jesus had the word so he got the word from the father though he was God he could have gone on his own initiative as the son of God But he chose not to do that. He was going to be just like you and me. He had to hear from his Father. But the Father sent me as he himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so those things is what we need to be saying. We need to be saying the things that God has told us to say, not what we think. It's so easy for us to put our thoughts um, into our words. But God does give us gut thoughts. Our problem is that the devil is also doing the same. And we we have to choose, well, whose words am I going to act upon? We had someone who came to see us uh, just this week and... um, to my mind, the things that were, were being said were, were not God's voice, and yet it was convinced that this was the case. And um, But it was contrary to um, the things that had already been said to that person. And really it was a sense of fleeing away from what God really wanted. But sometimes to stay is not easy because you're facing... A situation that really you want to be out of. You don't want that. Maybe people are thinking different things about you, or whatever. Uh, the easiest thing it seems these days is for people to move from church to church. And and yet God calls into local churches for a, a purpose. And it is it's a bit like marriage. It's for better or for worse. And it's not always. It's easier to go join something that is big, looks successful, and to be able to go in and come out. And we've been into these big churches and done exactly that. And we said, you know, not one person actually uh, spoke to us. Now that can happen in small churches as well. But even more so, in other words, you can, as a believer, you you can go into a situation where it's so easy. You can just do your little bit of Sunday thing and maybe even go to a midweek meeting every now and again and think, well, you know, that's... But is it really what God wants for us? I believe he wants every every member a disciple. And a disciple is someone who is disciplined, someone who is ready and prepared to use the gifts that God has given them in whatever way that he calls to use them. So collectively, we are put together for better or for worse. And yes, we can rub up one another the wrong way, and yet God says that's okay. That's all part of your maturing you know, we can upset one another. And so did those early disciples. I get great, um, you know, pleasure out of the fact that even in those disciples that were around Jesus, they were arguing, who's going to be sat next to you on your throne, Jesus? Let it be me. And, and and then others were taking offense at those three that were kind of the main nucleus, of Peter, James, and John. They always seemed to be around Jesus anyway, and... Who do they think they are? You can see all of this going on, and yet God is dealing with that. And so uh, Peter obviously had a, a, a reason for saying, how many times, Jesus, do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? And he probably had maybe thought, I can manage that. But he couldn't manage 70 times seven, uh, not without the grace of God. But that's again, it's all of this character uh, building that God is interested in. So Jesus said, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. In other words, he's not going to say anything that the Father has not told him to say. So uh, there are good fleas. Amen. And uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, he said, this is a good flea for you, uh, Timothy. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And there's another thing that God calls us to flee. And it's that which is the root of all evil. Um, Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Notice this is believers he's talking about. Uh, men uh, of God who have actually uh, erred from the faith simply because they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And, you know, we see that all the time in, in society. People who have made millions and um, and they're piercing themselves with such sorrow. Their lives have messed up. They've become, you know, Howard Hughes, of course, became a recluse and, uh, you know, was afraid to go out, afraid he was going to get contaminated and had these kind of fears upon him. Uh, But then Paul goes on to say, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Those are the things to pursue after. Uh, Flee from the love of money. There's nothing wrong with money, by the way. Money is quite neutral. It's what you do with it. If that becomes your idol, your God, then that's, that's what Paul is getting at. If, if you are motivated from the money aspect of things, and uh, generally in, in Christian life, that doesn't really happen because most people are not being paid uh, um, as well as maybe they could be even in you know society. Certainly that would be true in the school and so on. But you know, I've always felt that God said, but, I can change that as well. And he can, because the labor is worthy of his hire. Um, but it may take time, but eventually God always brings it back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So it's not that we should ever be thinking poverty mentality in those things, say, well, praise God, this may be for a season, but you know, God has got it all worked out. And he has ways of bringing things back to us without us realizing it's coming back in the way that it is. And we have seen that over many years. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. And, you know, the the bottom line is that most people finish up in Tarshish like Jonah was intending to because they really allow these thoughts to become their words, their words to be actions, their actions, habits, and the habits become their character. And they, they just get lost. And how many of us could probably relate back to people that we know who are now in Tarshish who were believers, but they've kind of run away from a situation. They've not been prepared to stand against it, resist it, and uh, as a, a sense of losing the place that God really had for them. And finally, this scripture that we find in James chapter 1, verses 6 through to 8, but let that person ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that man becomes unstable in all of his ways. People who are saying that they believe one thing But the next thing that's coming out of their mouth is that they are doubting the very thing that they were just saying that I'm believing for. And there's no way. And God says, I can't answer that person as much as they're praying and asking me because in one sense they're saying I believe, but the next they're doubting it and they've become double-minded and it says that a double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. And that's why people make the wrong decisions person i was speaking to this week and they said well i'm going to do this but then i might be doing that and i think well that's bad news you know because it just showed the instability in the person's mind and his thinking it was almost well i might try this and then i could try that and this doesn't work out but this might work out if i go there then this might happen and i think lord you know this is just a situation that God doesn't want his people to be in because time is too short to be messing about, trying this and trying that. God gives clear direction by his spirit. And uh, our young people, when, when the youth had been away, they, they, they gave us that scripture from Romans 12. I hope they haven't forgotten it. You know, it's easy to speak about it, and then uh, a few weeks after, you've forgotten all about it. But it really should be something that is continually there because it's such an important verse that they brought. That was Romans 12:2, and it says, "Don't be conformed to this world, but be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind." You see that that's really what Jonah needed. That's what Hagar needed. It's what Jacob needed. He needed his mind to be renewed. He was going by his own thoughts and his own fears but not really taking the word that God was giving and when you get the word of God then your mind now is being taught the the truth and you have got to then still act on that so the truth of the word when your mind is being renewed and you're thinking it differently to the way that you thought it should be now you start acting on the truth and the truth then begins to work out and you begin to form a habit of believing God's word that this is what I need, this is my direction. How many people have actually listened even to other believers, tell them something that wasn't exactly what the word of God said? And that's what I would say, if anybody's giving you advice, I don't go to anybody uh, for advice who really isn't in for the word because this is, this is the truth. But sometimes, you, you know, it's, it's not to say that you don't uh, seek advice or help, but always make sure you go to somebody who's going to be giving you what the Word says rather than their own thoughts, giving you a good idea. You know, some things that the world tells you seems like a good idea. Well, that does seem to make sense. The only thing is, it's not what God says. But when God says it, and that's why Jesus said... He, he wasn't even prepared to, to listen to his own thoughts. He was saying, I'm listening for what the Father tells me. And Jesus found this, the success of the ministry of Jesus was because he only did what God told him to do, what his Father told him to do, when to do it, where to do it, and so on. And we should be able to get that clear direction it's only on the basis that you personally take action with yourself and say i'm going to renew my mind according to what the word says i know that um i talked with dominic about this with the life he's been through bible college has seen you know how things work out in each stage and and how people they're thinking is being changed because a lot of students are coming from maybe even backgrounds where where the Word wasn't quite taught in the way it may have been more of a legalistic approach to the Word of God. It's the Word. But if we don't understand the new covenant principle of, of the Word and how it works and we're still going by the law and the law can never bring us to the place of you know holiness. It can only point us to the fact that we're sinners and that we need... We need the grace of God. And uh, and it gives us good, clear instruction, but you, you now tie that up with the grace of God, and, and that's why we can understand some of the things that God did, even on the Old Testament, because now we're in the year of grace, as it were. And uh, and so God is, uh, he hasn't changed. His, his methods uh, uh, seem to be different, uh, but he's just the same God. The fact is that Jonah couldn't cope with a God of grace. He, he couldn't work him out. He said, but you should be wiping these people out, God. You're God, you're righteous, you're holy. What are you doing? Saving these people who are our enemies. And so he got his thinking mixed up. Hence, he started acting then on his own thoughts and his own words and uh, got all, all uh, adrift. So we don't want anybody to be adrift. Praise God. Because God has got great things. I, I have a feeling that you know God has got so much. The more I've I've been looking at Jonah, he has been such a blessing. One of the children that came uh, when they were looking at the school was called Jonah. I thought that's a pretty good side. We got a, a Jonah. We did have a Jonah in the past. In our early days, we had a, a boy called Jonah. And here comes a little boy, and I said to him, "What's your name?" Little fellow, he said, "Jonah." I said, "Really?" I said, what a great name that is. I said, you know, we're teaching, you know, about Jonah in the Bible at the moment. Because sometimes we we use that name, don't we, as a kind of, oh, he's a Jonah. Bad luck, you know. uh, And and yet, uh, Jonah was was a great man of God. He was a prophet. And yet, he was just like you and me. The times when we want to run away and uh, hide. How many of us sometimes even want to run away from church? Well... You know, I have a feeling that people don't like me or don't love me or whatever. It's okay, don't run away though. Maybe some people might feel that, but that's not your problem, amen? You're free. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, please check out